Okay. Today we're going to learn about a leap year. See, this year is a leap year. In the Jewish calendar, a leap year means an extra month to the year. Not just the, not <coughs> like in the secular calendar, then a leap year means an extra day in the month of February. Yeah, today, mm-hmm. this month. This month. We have a leap year too. Uh-huh. You have a leap, a leap day. Too. A leap day, not leap a leap day. year, we should call it. We have a leap month, a full month, an extra month. And we're going to learn why is it that Judaism, within the Jewish calendar, we have a leap year. And we have it almost every two years or every three years, we have a leap year. First, I'll tell you that by art. I'll give you a general explanation, then we'll read it from inside. You see, the secular calendar The secular calendar is by the sun, goes by the sun. 365 days, that's what we have. And therefore, when you go by the sun, the, season, the calendars are according to the seasons. When it's summer, it's June and July, and it's always the same. That's a, that's a, second, that's a Christian calendar, really. That's a Roman calendar, wasn't it? Like the Romans, if I remember last time, they were Christians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The Roman calendar, thank you. The Muslim calendar goes by the moon, totally by the moon. What means by the moon? You see, the word month comes from the word moon. Really, a calendar does not need months. If it's 365 days a year, it could be the year 235, the year 200, and the day 287 day, 297, well, you don't need months. You can go by weeks, really. Mm-hmm. Weeks, week 53, weeks 52, weeks 51, weeks 50, whatever it is. Then, the, what the month means, if you go by the you say month, it may go by 12 moons, 12 cycles of moons. How much is a cycle, how many days is a cycle of a moon? 28. I say 30. <clears throat> it's uh, not a, a round number, that's for sure. 20 something and a half. No, I maybe. thought it was 28 days. It's not, uh, if the scientists tell me 28 days, what will the simple people say? <laughs> it's 29 and a half days. Oh. <laughs> sure, <clears throat> that's okay. We'll forgive you. <laughs> if it was a price <laughs> right, I would have lost. <laughs> Now, 29 and a half days is a strange number. You cannot have a, a month. You cannot have 29 and a half. Then you need, then they did it. If it go by the moon, it's 30 days, 29 days. 30 days, 29 days. That's why say almost always there is six months in the Jewish calendar with of 30 days. Jewish, six months of 29 days. In the Jewish calendar, for example, February is 28 days, right? There is no 28 days. It's arbitrary. It's just made up. There is no 31 days month. No such thing. The moon can be only, the month could be, in essence, 29 days or 30 days. Mm-hmm. First taste? Yeah. Lovely. Thank you. You can join us. <laughs> now, Then the secular calendar, the Roman calendar, the Christian calendar, goes by, by, the, by the sun. The month is just a joke, just a way to work things out. It's not real. 
28 days, 31 days, whatever they wanted, they did. The, the Muslims, they go by the moon strictly. If you have 29, that's your show, you show your scientists will know. 29 and a half times 12. 354, very good. It's less than 365. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 354 days. You see, it's still tired from the security from yesterday. <laughs> 354 days. Then there is a discrepancy. If you go by the moon or you go by the sun, if you go by the sun, the year is 365 days. You go by the moon, it's 354 days. The Muslim is losing every year 311 days. The difference between 365 to 354. Over 33 years, he's losing a year. When a Muslim says I'm 34, he's actually 33. That's why the Christians don't like the calendar. They want to feel younger, not older. Wait, so a Muslim doesn't add a month or anything? They just... No, they don't add a month. So how does that... Therefore, Ramadan... Ramadan is cycling the year. Sometimes it's because every year it goes 11 days earlier, 11 days earlier, 11 days earlier. That's why now Ramadan starts now. Sometimes it's in the summer and the long days and it's crazy. Sometimes in the winter it's much easier for them. Right? Now comes the Jewish calendar. And one end, God told us to go by the moon. Why God told us to go by the moon? Because the Jewish people are compared to the moon. Why we are compared to the moon? Because we start out small, we grow. We go. We are a reflection, two reasons. Number one, we, we're never the same size. We grow, sometimes we shrink, sometimes we grow, but we are never <coughs> the same. It means to say that the Jew is never in the same place. One day is here, the other day is in a cruise, the third day is going somewhere else, then he moves, then he moves again, then he goes back. Yes, Pilkes. <laughs> Number two is a reflection. You know what Pilkes is? Oh, no, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what Pilkes is. Pilkes is, you have answers in his You should know what Pilkes is. Ask your father, he knows what Pilkes is very well. It's a, it's a good grandmother term. I used to hear that from my grandmother. <laughs> somebody, cannot, uh, somebody cannot sit in the same place. Yeah. Cannot sit still. You tell this child, this child is spilled. Spilke. He cannot move. He cannot sit. He's jumping. Yeah. Spilke. <laughs> now, the other reason is why we are compared to the moon. Like you said, scientists, we are a reflection. The moon is a reflection of the sun. We are supposed to be a reflection of God. Our own job is to reflect that. When the world looks at us, you should see in our eyes not godliness. Not, not godless, but godliness. And that's our job. In any case, it's supposed to be by the moon. Go by the moon. The problem is, go ahead. Yeah, very good question. Going sure. back to Muslims. So they, they never adjust? No. Wow. I didn't know that either. How does that I don't think they're just. They go, their calendar goes by their own. I, I don't know how they, they work with the regular, with the, with, the, to, with the world, so to speak, how they operate with the world. That's right. I don't know. But their calendar, and you see it by Ramadan, is constantly moving. They don't adjust. Yeah. If they would adjust, the Ramadan would go backward. Now, the Jews 
On one hand, God told us to count the month. When we left Egypt, that was the first mitzvah God told Moses, was he should count the month. The first mitzvah God told Moses before we, uh, before we left Egypt. On the other hand, God said Pesach must be in the spring. If Pesach must be in the spring, every year we lose 10 days. 11 days, right? That if this year Pesach was April 1st, next year Pesach will be February 19. The year later will be February 8. The year later, will, like the Ramadan, will end up with Pesach in the middle of the, middle of the snowstorm, in, middle of the, in January. And then it's going to be a disaster. Why Pesach must be in the spring? Because God took us out from Egypt in the spring. What we do with the two problems? Are we adjust the two problems? Then on one hand, God tells us count the month. On the other hand, God said the Pesach must be in the spring. That every year, every time, when Pesach gets too early, before the equinox, we add another month. That's the leap year. And we push Pesach back. And if two years later or three years later, we push Pesach back. And we, sometimes we push Pesach a lot, then we have, a, we, have, we have extra credit for next year. How many years leap year in Jewish calendar? <coughs> there is seven, if I remember correctly, seven leap years and 19. In a cycle of 19 years, seven years. Seven leap years, I think. Seven and 19, bless you. Yeah. There are two Adars, right? That's what it is? That's what, oh. Two. This is the, then always before Pesach. It's like every we, other year, right? Every two years or every three every, years? Depends. If it's seven years in 19. Seven and 19. Should be how many? Something. So, something. Sometimes two, sometimes three. Yeah. Then, uh, then uh, when we when we when we supposed to make the leap here, we do it the month before Pesach. We say, oh, it's too early. We push this off. Now it's everything a system. But in biblical time, when they saw it's too cold and they saw there is snows and they saw that it's too early in the year, they pushed us off. They came together. A whole meeting of seven or nine rabbis was considered the most important meeting of the year. And in this meeting, they have to make the decision if to make a, this year a leap year, if to add a month or not. And I'll tell you something very interesting. It's written in, in the Talmud, the Jewish law, that two people could not be a part of the decision-making, if it's a leap year or not. The, the, pre, the, the king and the high priest. The king wanted a leap year because he used to pay the salaries by the year. Then they come, oh, sorry, there is another month. It's not my fault. <laughs> Mm-hmm. You understand? Yeah. They gave you, a, in America also, you get the salary by the year. In, in Israel, it's more by the month. It's by the year. How much you get, people ask, how much you make a year, right? I, well, it took me a long time to get used to it. In Israel, people ask you how much you make a month, not how much you make a year. 60,000, 70,000, 80,000, that's why they divide it by, the month, by two weeks. The king, she likes it. He gave by the year. That he says, I want a leaper. Yeah, sure, well, we should make a leaper. I mean, saving money. He's not, he's not earning the salaries. Too bad. It's a, it's a leaper. The high priest should not be a part of it. Why? Because the high priest did not want a leaper. Because if a leaper means that the high holidays will be in the colder, in a colder season. And if it's a colder season, he will have to, you know, the high priest is to go on Yom Kippur five times to the mikveh. The water will be a little colder. <laughs> mm-hmm. If they would ever make for like Salon Chabad, there wouldn't be a problem. <laughs> but uh, you understand? In any case, that's the story. That's why we have this here. It is now, because the month before Pesach, the month of Purim, basically, it's called Adar. Then we have Adar 1 and Adar 2. That's what we have. 
Then when, then this, when we have Purim, we're going to learn soon, in the second Adar, before Pesach. Then we are now in Adar 1. And Adar 1 has no big Purim. That the day when it comes, the Purim was supposed to be. It's called Purim Katan, the small Purim. It's like a little holiday, we just don't say Tachnon, things like this. And we wait for the next month to have the big, the big Purim. The big Purim is the Adar before Pesach. Now that you're geniuses and you know the whole story of the, of, the, of the calendar and how this business works, now we'll read it a little bit from inside. But this is the, the story with the Purim. Now, I, I think I mentioned that last week we had, um, you know, we sent out the Yotzeit notes. And the Yotzeit note tells you when is, uh, when is what if somebody is Yotzeit is an Adam? And now this is a leap year. When is he going to do the outside? The first Adar or the second Adar? I get a phone call from a lady. She tells me, Rabbi, you're sending me the outside. My mother told me it's in two and a half months. What are you sending me already? You, have, you made a mistake in a month. It's a leap year. I told her, yeah, the Ashkenazi Jews observe the outside in Adar 1. The Sephardi Jews observe the outside in Adar 2. She's a Sephardi. Her father was a Sephardi. Then she tells me, what, what should I do? I said, you do it Adar 2. You do it your tradition. The Moses' yortai was just... Yeah, yeah, just Friday, yes. Yeah. It was Adar 1. Then comes our story about birthdays. You say, wait, Adar 1, Adar 2, when you make the bar mitzvahs. I think birthdays is Adar 2. But they asked to ask the Rebbe, the Rebbe's wife, she was born in Adar, when is her birthday? When the Rebbe celebrates her birthday? She said, I don't know, but when it's a leap year, he goes to pray in honor of my birthday to the oil on the first Adar and on the second Adar. <laughs> <laughs> That's, by the way, a present for the birthday. I'm sure the Rebbe gave you a present, but <laughs> the real present was, she knew what the real present is, to go pray in Iran. So the person was born in the second... When it was a leap And the year next is not a leap year. They are celebrating. No, 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 no. It's a very good question. No, I'll show you something very interesting. Let's say somebody was born... The, the first day of Adar Bet, somebody was born, it's a leap year, somebody was born in Adar Aleph, the last day in Adar Aleph, and somebody was born the first day in Adar Bet, or in the, the end of Adar Bet, but not the last day. Next year is not a leap year. The person who was born later will celebrate his birthday earlier. You understand what I'm saying? Let's say the guy was born, one guy was born the 20. The twentieth of Adar Bet, the first one was born the thirtieth of Adar Aleph, the twenty-ninth of Adar Aleph. Next year there's only one Adar. The guy comes the twentieth, twentieth Adar. It's his birthday. It's his bar mitzvah. The other one has to wait. I'm older than you in a month. Too bad. <laughs> it's one Adar. You understand? <laughs> then it's it's makes interesting combinations. But I will not confuse you. You're confused enough in this business. <laughs> Let's start to read from inside. Why are there two months of Adar? The Jewish versus the Gregorian calendar. God said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month shall be the head of the head month to you, the first of the months of the year. Rashi, this month, God showed Moses the new moon and told him that when the moon is visible again, that is the beginning of the month. Mm-hmm. He told them the beginning, when you see, when it's a new moon, that's, a, that's, a, that's the beginning of a Jewish month. The 15th of the month in the Jewish calendar is always a full moon. The full moon not is the beginning of the month. The new moon is the, is the beginning of the month. Go ahead. The conundrum. 
Keep the festival of Matzot. Eat Matzot for seven days as I commanded in the designated time in the spring because it was in the spring that you left Egypt. You see, now comes the contradiction. You should have to observe the festivals. The problem is like this. The festival is on the 15th of the month of Nisan. It goes by the calendar. It's not by the... Then you must go the 15th of the month of Nisan. That says to, the calendar is to tell us in Pesachism. And if it's too early, it's not in the spring that we have the problem. Okay, go ahead, um, Mr. Bedelman. Um, <clears throat> Dr. Bedelman. <laughs> How much longer is the solar year than a lunar year? Approximately 11 days. Therefore, when these additional days reach a sum of 30 or slightly more or slightly less, an additional month is, add, is added, causing, this, uh, causing the year to include 13 months. This is called a leap year. Yeah, then he said it clearly, right? The 11 days, when you collect all 30 days of 11 days, you had another month. And that's Rabbi, called a leap so yeah. does this, does this also help things like high holidays later, right? So everything shifts to be in the correct months. Because the Torah tells us where, when the holiday is supposed to be. The calendar, all, yes. All the, all the yes. Oh, it's all, it's all, you're right, all the holidays are really agricultural holidays, yes. Right. And they're all connected to the seasons, mm -hmm. yes. And that way, they will all everything will shift. Everything shifts, yes. And that's why you say, this I, I holidays is late, I holidays mm -hmm. is early. I, right. As a joke is, it's never on time. It's all too late. People, they just always complain. <laughs> they say, too late. Oh, it's too early. I like it when it's too late because when it's too early, people are still in the middle of the summer or they're on the beaches. They don't have time for Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> I like when Sukkot is early. Are you right? You're right. And Sukkot is late is very painful, yeah. <laughs> this year Sukkot is going to be late. <laughs> Get a good sweater and maybe a coat and maybe some eating, 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 eating machine. Uh, last year was perfect. Yeah, last year was good. Sure, last year was Sure, sure. Not this kind of year. You know, to learn, God wants us to appreciate when it's warm, you know. A little bit in the cold is also healthy. Source number four, continue. Um, the extra month that is added is always a dar, and thus the year contains two adars, the first adar and the second adar. Why is this month added? Because of the season of spring, so that Passover will fall then, as implied by Deuteronomy 16.1. Take heed the month of spring. This means take heed that this month falls uh, in the spring season. <clears throat> Were the months of Adar not to be added from time to time, there are times when Passover would fall in the summer and times when it fall in the rainy season. Therefore, we must add another month. That we just explained. <coughs> Go ahead, please. When will we celebrate Now becomes the question. Okay, now we have two months. Two Adars. When is Puri? The first Adar, the second Adar. Nothing goes so easy. I'm telling you already the bottom lines, but it's much more complicated. Go ahead, please. Rabbi Eliezer, son of Rabbi Yossi, says, the Megillah is not read in Adar 2 because all the misquotes of Adar are applicable during Adar 1. You see, Rabbi Eliezer says, no, we don't. When we have an opportunity to do a mitzvah, you do it right away. There is a concept. You don't skip a mitzvah. It's not, let's say this, I walk into to the room. I see M&M. I don't say, oh, hi. And he's looking at me like, he didn't say hello to me. <laughs> no, not. Not Apple. He doesn't mind. <laughs> but uh, you understand? Mm -hmm. You don't skip on the mitzvah. You have a mitzvah. You know why we put on Talis before that film? Because Talis is seven days a week. The film is only six days a week. And what we do, we put the Talis in the bag before the film. 
You shouldn't, we, well, we, don't, we don't skip the mitzvah, go straight to the film, take out the first mitzvah, then the next mitzvah. Then if comes Adara, Udaru, Adaru one, and there is a Purim, what do you mean you're not doing it? You have an opportunity to celebrate Purim. What do you mean you're waiting for the second Adar? That was Rabbi Eliezer's opinion. Continue. Rabbi Shimon Ben Gamliel says in the name uh, of Rabbi Yossi, it is read during Adar too because all the. Yeah, 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 you're reading good. Uh-huh. All the Adar mitzvot are not applicable during Adar 1. Continue. Rabbi Eliezer, the son of Rabbi Yossi's rationale is that we are enjoined not for sheep and to but to do it the first possible opportunity. Rabbi Shimon Gamliel's rationale is that it is preferred to juxtapose one redemption to another, therefore Purim should be celebrated in proximity to Passover. Yes. Then you see that the, there is two sides to it. You know, I'll give you an example of another mitzvah. Yeah, yeah, continue. Rabbi Yeah, then the aloha is Adato, the second Adam, because he wants to adjust, celebrate redemptions with redemptions, miracles with miracles. Purim is a miracle, Pesach is a miracle. Purim was, Pesach was the redemption from Egypt, Purim was the redemption from, from death to, to liberty, to, to survive. Amen wanted to annihilate the old Jewish people, and that was a huge miracle. Then we attach the two redemptions together. We bring them together. We want to celebrate them together. The same, the same um, dilemma where, for example, there is a mitzvah. By day day, you make a bris, right? Should you make it early in the morning? Or should you wait until the end of the day? Let's say 5 o'clock in the afternoon in the summer. I had my, all my kids had the same dilemma. Do I do the bris in the morning? Really, the mitzvah is to do the first opportunity. The priest is such a big mitzvah. You want to do it the first moment you can do. Or on the other end, you have more people coming to a priest. It's a mitzvah to make a mitzvah with a lot of people. You glorify God in front of so many Jews. What's more important? To do it right away. Then the Rebbe well, writes about it. That's a different problem. We force the moil to come on time whenever we want. Then I, most of the reason of my kids, I did in the afternoon, in the evening. Many of them were in the summer, and because I wanted as many Jews should be there, and it was, Mendy's breeze was 6 o'clock in the evening, um, Levi's was in the morning, Levi was maybe also in the evening, Sholem was in the morning, depends on the child. So it's... Mayor was in the morning. So can I ask you a question? So, it, in theory, you would do it early. Because yeah. you don't put it off. You're like, right. You don't put You're a right. mitzvah You're off. Right. But You're right. So the opportunity to have many more Jews there is overriding the, is overriding the, the same thing. of the mitzvah. Exactly. The same thing is here. Purim on one end, you don't want to push off the mitzvah. On the other end, you want to celebrate one redemption with the next, adjust one miracle to the next, Purim to Pesach. It's like almost the, 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 the season of good luck, of, good, of, of miracles. Purim and Pesach is one package deal. Then in this case, and that's the aloha that you celebrate Purim next to Pesach, the second Adam. So on the weekend, you can do it. What do you mean on the weekend? Oh, on Shabbos. Mm, no, no. On Sunday. 
Yeah, in the Sunday you can do a piece only. Yes, yes. Right. Rabbi, is this similar to Rosh uh, Yom uh, Kippur? What do you mean similar? How they go together? Yeah, a little so bit. Rosh Hashanah and Kippur and Sukkot is a, yeah. Purim and Pesach is like together. And you have Sukkot and uh, Simchas Torah. Simchas Torah. Yes, yes, yes. A little bit. Yes, yes, yes. Probably different meaning, but you are right. different meaning, but the same idea. <coughs> it's more powerful when you sell, when you bring together two miracles. Right. It gives us more strength. Also, I, I had a question. Maybe this is totally um, not connected. So. When Moses went up Mount Sinai and just miscalculated one day, does that have anything to do with the calendar? I forgot what the reason was. I don't think so. No, he I... just told them. He left right before sunset. He told them, I'll come back in 40 days. He did not count the day that the, he left. It was, like an hour, yeah. that, it was an hour before sunset. It was, the day was over almost. And they counted this day. That was the mistake then. But all the Tzorahs were usually a miscalculating of number of right. days. <laughs> or in the, in the Talmud, in the Bible, I mean. Yes. There's other examples for it. Okay, Purim Katan. Source X. The 14th and 15th days of Adar 1 are days in which we do not recite prayers of penitence. We do not recite the psalm of Hashem answer us on the day of our pain. Eulogizing and fasting are also prohibited. We try to avoid um, sad things. Continue. Rima's glosses. Some, de- some say that one must increase in joy on the 14th. Always have a feast. Yeah. This is the place that they say that you should celebrate even the Purim one a little bit, be happy, enjoy. Okay, this was only an introduction to the real story. The real story is like this. In 19, um, when was it? It was me. 1927, it was a leap year in Russia. The previous Chabad Rebbe was in Russia. The Rebbe, everybody, Chabad was in Russia. It was the time of communism went crazy. It, the Bolshevik Revolution was 1920, 1927, little... 18. Yeah, but I think when the communists came to power. Not 1920? 18, but it was civil war afterwards. Yeah, so when, when was civil war? A couple of years. A couple of years. By 20, they became. And they little by little were fighting Judaism and closing down the shuls and the mikvehs and the schools and everything, everything, everything. Now, within the, the communist um, party was a Jewish section. It's called Yevsektia, right? Yevrei Sektia. You ever heard about it? No. Never heard about it. A Jewish part of the communist you're party. Guys, oh, like section. Yeah. Like, I never heard of guys. Yeah, you're, you're, you're from <laughs> Russia? <laughs> we, yeah. we know what they taught us. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the only thing. Was it Leon Jewish? It was called Yevsektia. It was a Jewish group within the communist party who were the, the biggest communists mm-hmm. and they wanted to make sure every Jew is a communist and nobody is teaching Torah and nobody is having a cheder and nobody is having a mikveh and nobody is having a shul. And they even at that time they did not have even legal power. But they made the, big, the biggest service to the Jews in Russia. The Jewish communists. Well, as we suffer in America from Jews who, yeah? No, I, I believe, yeah. Who was the leader of that? No leader. There were thousands of them, not leader. Everybody was excited. All the young people, communism will save the world. Just like today we have. Mm-hmm. Nothing changed. 
then anybody who knows Jewish history doesn't get depressed. Because <laughs> everything happened. And we survived and we thrived. And they, in this time, they, it was the, the law was you're not allowed to have, a, you're not allowed to teach more than five kids or something like this. But they wanted to make sure you don't even teach one kid. And they closed down within seven years. They made sure all the synagogues, everything, the, the Jewish youth became communist. My grandfather was alive, was a teenager during this time. And he writes in his book, I gave a few people, I have a book in Russian of my grandfather. I used to get a few more, I'll give you guys. Then he, write, he describes it. Beside him and his brother were the son of the rabbis, of the rabbi in town. The rest of the Haider became communist. All the kids. They left Haider. They closed down the synagogues. They burned down everything. They destroyed every Jewish shred in many, many, many different ways. They turned over their own parents to the government, to the police, if they did something against the law, the new law. And the previous rabbi, who became a rabbi in 1920, his father, before he died, told them, there is dark clouds coming on Russia. That's what he told them. You'll need to give your life for Judaism. He told them in advance, spirits going. And he created a whole system of underground Shiva students, to boys, go and teach Torah and reopen the mikvehs. And he came to every city and he organized people and he came in. They were always in every place. People, you just need some, an organizer to come and to tell them, let's we'll give you some money. We'll come together. What do you mean to give up on Judaism? And he was busy. And the KGB was in, on top of him. They didn't like all his work that he's doing. And they closed down on him. And they came to do researches in his house and intimidating him and do more and they were And they had, they had people who were watching every step that he's making and every word that he says was reported. You know what Raja mm-hmm. is. I'm surprised they didn't kill him right away. Yeah. You're right. It was because <laughs> then, because then it was not yet. It took him. Stalin. Yeah, not, it was not uh, Stalin uh, yet. In the 1930s. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Mrs. Kaysen's father who was caught to be a moyel, he was arrested. Two months later, he was shot and killed. They were only, at least 100 Hasidim they were shot and killed. M- my mother's uncles, they were not Chabad, but they were rabbis. In the 1938, the same time, 37, 38, mm-hmm. arrested, shot and killed, the, finished. The big terror, that's what it's called. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Two, two of your three uncles were shot and killed in 1938. The third one died and was killed in the Holocaust. How many... Jews did the Russians kill? Did we not? Do we know have a number? I mean, we don't hear they, about it, right? They you didn't, don't they you didn't, hear about the Holocaust. They didn't discriminate. <laughs> they killed uh, Nazis too. Uh, Stalin killed millions of people. It was so. It was very hard to kind of, you know, differentiate. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. But the Jews were on right in top of the line. Mm-hmm. Then the Rebbe, it was it was 1927, and he went to Moscow. From he, used, he lived in Saint Petersburg. And the head of the KGB of St. Petersburg says, I am going to finish him. And he was going, he made a trip to Moscow and Purim Katan, 1927. Purim Katan is going to be this coming Friday. And, they, and he was going there to, I think it was Achipovich, it's in Moscow. And he told the few Hasidim underground, and he's going to give a speech down. What do you think the KGB did not know about that? They know about everything. That people came and tell them, friends who worked in the KGB who loved the Rebbe, told them, please don't do it. 
This will be the end of the story. They will arrest you. After this business, they will arrest you because they will be, the KGB agents will be there. They hear what you say. They will report straight. You'll be finished. And he said, I'm going and I don't care. No matter what it will be. And guess what? Three months later, he was arrested. And, the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and he had a death sentence. And that night, if he would, if he would it was a whole miracle. How he, basically, if he would show up a little early that night, he would try to kill him. And then it was an international pressure, and they changed it to 10 years, um, um, 10 years in, 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 in the Slovakia island. Slovakia island, something like this? Um, Salavki. Oh, Salavki Islands, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Salavki Islands. Where did the international pressure come from? Germany, in the United States, and, uh, and uh, at that time also, oh. um, where was it? It was in uh, Latvia. So what year was that? that he... 1927. So it was, okay. And also Jews yeah. in Russia made a big stink. Even communist Jews, you know, that was already too much. Like, so to speak. And then they changed it to three years uh, in Kastrama. Exactly in Kastrama. Then in the end of the day, it was two weeks in Kastrama. Yeah, it was two weeks in Kastrama, and they let him go. But the condition, you better leave Russia. They basically threw him out of Russia, expelled him. And he left in the end of 19, 19, the end of 1927, he left Russia. But he, then he went to Europe, and then he, until the World War II, basically he had every story available in the world, he suffered from it. But the, the, few, the few weeks that he was in jail were not were, were pretty painful, very painful. In any case, here we're going to learn the speech that he gave on Purim Katan, 1927, in Kastroma, in uh, Moscow, mm-hmm. speaking about the importance of Jewish education. And he connected, obviously, to Puri. The Rebbe's father-in-law, Rabbi Schneerson. His name was also Schneerson. This is the Rebbe, his father-in-law, but they're all from the same family. The Rebbe's wife used to say that her father was a Schneerson, her mother came from a Schneerson family, and her husband is a Schneerson. Mm-hmm. It was all the family interconnected. It was... Third cousins, but family. There you go. So maybe it was a descendant of us. <laughs> <laughs> Not this guy. <laughs> I, I think more your daughter is more descendant of the lady than this. Than this descendant, Hoshiva descendant. Okay. Go ahead, please. Under the communist two contrasting eras, the Jews accepted what they had already begun. This first can be interpreted to mean that during the era of exile, the Jews accepted what they had already begun previously at the time of beginning of the Torah. As the sages interpret the verse, the Jews affirmed and accepted. The sages understand this verse to mean they now affirmed what they had already accepted in the Torah. There is a, that's a quote from the Megillah. There is a very interesting Talmudic statement. Then on Purim, the Jews affirmed Mount Sinai. No, at Mount Sinai, when God asks us, you to take the Torah, what do you answer? We will do and we will listen. We'll do and listen. What to say is nice. To do is a different story. How we know that what they said meant business? Purim, we proved that what we said at Mount Sinai was real. That's what the Talmud says. Purim was a thousand years after Mount Sinai, you understand? Then the Talmud says, you know, when we knew that what we said, now seven Ishma, we will do and we will, and we will understand Israel, and Purim, we showed that Israel. Until now, it was just words. 
How many times you tell your wife, I love you, she doesn't yeah, you say it. <laughs> just, just prove it. <laughs> Take out the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> prove it! <laughs> Continue. This appears to be an inconceivable statement. At the time of the giving of the Torah, the Jews had attained the loftiest heights of the nation, the most elevated levels of liberty and freedom. They had just witnessed numerous signs and wonders during their exodus from Egypt, clear demonstrations of the divine power and life-giving which transcends the natural order, discernible and visible within nature itself. The peak of this revelation was reached at the splitting of the Red Sea. By the time they reached Mount Sinai, they had thus attained the ultimate heights, and there they apprehended godliness through direct sense perception. Mount, Mount Sinai was the, the, the highest point, the ultimate, the climax. Continue. Exile represents the absolute opposite. During exile, we do not Then the question is the contradiction. You're telling me then what you say that Mount Sinai, the Jews, they was not the real thing. They were on the highest level. They saw God. They saw miracles. God was speaking to them from Mount Sinai. What could be higher? What was Purim? Purim, the Jews were in Persia, in exile, assimilated. You're telling me that they were, when they affirmed the commitment to Judaism and Purim, or they said that Mount Sinai is not good. You know when there was real thing on Purim. What does this mean? That's what he's trying to, to explain. How can we say that Purim affirms Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, they were on the highest level. Purim, they were on the lowest level. You tell me, without Purim, Mount Sinai is nothing. Mount Sinai, when you're when you making a commitment, Yom Kippur, by Ne'ile, you're telling God, God, I love you. That's real. I'm going in the middle of the street. Uh, what are you telling me? That's what you try to understand. Continue. <coughs> All the exile example, the exile in Egypt, of which it is written, they did not listen to Moshe because of their dwindled spirits and hard toil. Their back-breaking labor, the same applies to all of the other exiles, which his very soul, he brings his breath, confronting many trials, uh, trials that challenge our observance of the Torah and its mitzvot. We uh, sweat our, uh, over our arduous work from the time we rise in the morning until the late hours of the night. We have no time for prayer or Torah study. We make our way through the day with a troubled mind. <coughs> in the morning we say, if only it were night. And in the evening we say, if it only were morning. This the Rebbe here is explaining how, how bad was his exile. You're running around, you don't think about, you're, you're trying to make a living, especially in that time in, in Russia. It was horrible. And you want to tell me this is higher than the time of Mount Sinai? 
This is more true regarding Haman's um, error, when he rose up against us to annihilate us, <clears throat> to destroy, kill, and, and exterminate all the Jews, young and old, without leaving a remnant of survivor. God forbid. Then the time of exile was a terrible time. He wants to kill us. You want to tell me that that was the time we were so connected? We were suddenly so con affirming our commitment to God more than Mount Sinai. How could we say such a thing? Continue. Amen, aim for the children. The Midrash Rabbah comments on the verse we are discussing. Here is where the Rebbe is going, about the children. Amen said, surely I will begin by striking all these children. In order to carry out his wicked designs to destroy the Jewish people, Heaven forbid, he would begin attacking the school children who study Torah. Mm -hmm. When those letters were sealed and given to him, and he and all the members of his entourage proceeded joyfully, they met Mordechai, who was walking ahead of them. Mordechai saw three children who were coming from school, and Mordechai ran after them. When Haman and his entire entourage saw that Mordechai was running after the children, they followed Mordechai to ascertain what Mordechai would ask them. When Mordechai reached the children, he asked one of them, recite your verse to me. It means to say, tell me what you learned in Cheder today, in school. He said to him, fear not from sudden terror and from the cataclysm of the wicked when it comes. The second began and said, I read today and with this verse I left school. Take counsel and it will be negated. Speak something and it will not stand as God is with us. The third began and said, Until old age, I am he, and after gray hairs I will bear you. I have done and I will carry, I will bear and I will rescue. When Mordechai heard this, he laughed and was overjoyed. See, oh, Mordechai didn't know what's going on. It came out a decree of this, annihilating the old Jewish people. <clears throat> when there is no prophets, you go to little children, you ask them what you learned the Hedo today, like randomly, randomly. He stopped three kids. And they take all of them, every one of them gave him <coughs> messages of hope and excitement. And we will overcome the Tzores. He was very happy. He says, that's going to be good. Continue. Haman said to him, what is this joy that you rejoiced when hearing the words of these children? He said, it is over the good tidings of which they apprised me that I need not fear the evil designs that you counseled against us. Immediately, the wicked Haman became angry and said, I will strike it none other than these children first. Aha! That Amen was going to and the children, and the Jewish children. To start with the Jewish children, he wanted to get rid of the Jewish children, then he knows there's no future for the Jewish people. You don't have kids, you don't have adults, you don't have anything. And that's what, that was the problem of, uh, in, in, uh, in, in the Megillah, in the story of the Megillah. And then what later did, as you're going to read, uh, and Mordechai took uh, um, 24,000 Jewish children and he, and he, and he, brought them to, and he learned with them Torah. And, he, and they, made, they affirmed the commitment to Judaism. They, not only, they, they, they were the beginning of the, of the miracle, if you want. And this story is in the Megillah? No, no this, this is a Medrash. In the Megillah, there is a line about that. But from this, that's a Medrash tells the story. That's why we sing Al-Tira, Mi-Pachat Pitom, every, every Shabbat after davening. It's, it's coming from this, from this story in the Talmud. The verses are from the Bible, but it's based on the story from the Talmud with the three kids, yeah. Oh, yeah, fear not from sudden terror. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Al-Tira. Mm -hmm. 
You think we sing for no reason? <laughs> no, no, no. I, <laughs> I'm not I, I a big singer. <laughs> if I'm singing, it's very painful. And I'm singing it, it must be there is a good, good reason. <clears throat> Go ahead. Two contrasting errors. On the verse, and it came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus, the sages note that whenever the words, and it came to pass in the days of, are used, they are introducing a period of distress. For example, it is written, and it came to pass in the days of Ahaz. What calamity transpired? Ahaz, Ahaz was a king of Judah. The father, the father, the father of King Hiskio was a righteous king, but his father was an evil king, a Jew, who made sure eradicating Judaism. He was from the Ephesia. You don't know Ephesia? I can't believe it. You better go and read about it. I never it. heard of this thing. Seriously. Okay, okay, okay. I was born on this. Aiden and this, Neuston this, Lee and this, all Chabad lives in this. I will have full report by next Please. time. Please. <laughs> uh, what calamity transpired then? Achaz said, if there are no kids, there will be no goats. Similarly, if there are no children, there will be no adults. If there are no adults, there will be no scholars. If there are no scholars, there will be no sages. If there are no sages, there will be no elders. If there are no elders, there will be no Torah. If there is no Torah, there will be no synagogues and houses of study. And if there are no synagogues and houses of study, the Holy One, blessed be He, will not cause His presence to rest in the world. Very simple. The future of, the, of every place goes by the kids. That's why the people want to influence a generation. They concentrate on education. They don't waste that time on the older people. They go to the kids. Then He wanted to close the, sh- the schools. Little children should not learn Torah. Very very smart, actually. Continue what he did. What did Achaz do? He locked all the synagogues and houses of study so that the Torah would not be studied. Why was he called Achaz? Which means to hold fast, because he firmly closed all the synagogues and houses of study. He closed the cheders. He closed the schools. He said, don't worry, we'll give it a generation. That's what communism did. He closed all the schools. They let the old people to go to shul if they want. (laughs) But he said, it's a matter of time before everybody will be a good comedy. Come on, come on, Smolnik. That's what COVID did, too. Mm-hmm. They closed their Come, come <laughs> some Molnik. Thank you. Okay. Um, Isaiah. Isaiah's response. Isaiah challenged King Ahaz. What success will you have? What will you achieve by locking up synagogues and houses of study? Your intent is that God forbid the Torah will be forgotten by the Jewish people who will thus be separated from God. However, your endeavors will bear no fruit because behold, I and the children from <clears throat> whom God has given us, has given me as signs and wonders in Israel will prevent that from happening. Now these were, now were these his children. Surely they were only his students. Um, this then is the source which teaches us that a person's student is called his son. Through these children, mm-hmm. Yeshayahu rebuilt the ruin wrought uh, by Ahaz. As the verse states, the Torah will not be forg- forgotten from the mouth of his descendants. The school children who study Torah are the foundation that enables your entire nation is righteous. This Ahaz, the father, the king of Judah, who was trying to destroy Judaism in Jerusalem. Isaiah was the prophet at that time. He told him, you think you're going to be successful? We will make sure there is Jewish children who learn Torah. Nothing will help you. And that's the same thing what Mordechai did. Continue. 
verse 9, after he yeah. erected the gallows, uh, he went to Mordecai and found that he was sitting in the study hall with the children sitting before him with sackcloth on their waists, engaging in the study of Torah, and they were wailing and weeping. He counted them and found that there were 22,000 children. 22,000, not 24. Go ahead. He cast iron chains on them and deployed guards over them. He said, tomorrow I will kill these children first, and then I will kill Mordechai. He went to look for Mordechai. Where is Mordechai after the decree? Because he wanted to hang them. He saw him finding them with thousands of children learning Torah. He said, oh, they are the people. I'm going to get rid of them first. Mordechai takes strength from these kids. I'll go for them. Continue. The mothers were bringing them food and water and saying to them, Our children, eat and drink before you die and don't die hungry. Immediately they placed their hands on their books and took an oath. But the life of Mordechai, our master, who will not eat and drink, but will die while fasting. They said we are going with Mordechai no matter what. We are all the way with them. Obviously, the one not three years old you're talking about. You're talking about 10 and 12 and 15 and 18. All the, is this the first of Esther? That's later, no, that's yeah. That's part of this? Yes, yes, yes. The first of Esther is a way to remember this. Yes, yes. Many explanations, but this is yes, yes. The fe- this fest, this started, commitment, this commitment bought the redemption, bought the miracle. When we don't have this commitment... The Jews were were supposed to be annihilated. When the Jewish kid says, no matter what, we are not giving up on Judaism, that spot that God turned everything around and was such a big miracle. All of them... All of them began weeping loudly until their cries reached the heavens. God heard the, the sound of their weeping approximately two hours into the night. At that moment... God's compassion was aroused, and he stood up from his throne of justice and sat down on his throne of mercy and said, What is that loud sound I hear that sounds like goats and lambs? Moses, our master, stood before God and said, Master of the universe, there are neither goats nor lambs, but rather the children of your people who are fasting today and have already been fasting for three days and three nights, and tomorrow their enemy seeks to slaughter them like goats and lambs. At that moment, God took those letters that he had decreed against them that were sealed with mortar seals, and he ripped them. He brought fear upon Ahasuerus and Ahasuerus mm-hmm. that night, that is what is written on that night. Yes. What happened is, basically, it's a nice way to describe it, and they were crying. And they, I mean, that was a, a, Moses had a conversation with God, but the bottom line is, their commitment made God change his mind and save the Jewish people. Then it was all a fight, Purim was all a fight about Jewish education, you understand? That's what the focus is. It's all, basically, what the Rebbe is sitting in 1927 in Russia, in, the, in a synagogue in Moscow, and he's telling the Hasidic Jews there, it's all about the children, we should go, we should die for it. And that's, what, that's how Judaism survived, because of his disciples. My father never saw the previous rep. He left 1927 Russia. But the reason he's a, he's a Jew in a Chabadnik is because his disciples, the Rebbe's disciples, taught him to, taught him to risk their life to teach Torah. 
If there is Judaism in Russia, when you, you, everybody else tells me, I remember my grandmother going to the shul and bringing matzah. How do you think the matzah grow in the shuls? <laughs> How they appeared in the shuls? From, from, from heaven? Somebody to bake them. Somebody to bring them. Somebody to do this. And the Sol Hasidic Jews who risked their life. Lived there. Chose not to leave Russia. Went to jail. What do you think? Why Mrs. Kaysen's father wanted to be unboiled? He wanted to be unboiled in 1938. It's crazy. He needed to, to, because he was a Hasid, and he needed to circumcise Jewish children. That's why he did it. And he risked his life. And uh, um, Rabbi Shimon's great-grandfather died in jail. He was a Hasid. He was teaching Torah children. He was arrested. He died in jail. He called his baby Yaakov, named after his great grandfather, who died in jail. Yankel Maskalik. Then it's the people who, I mean, in Chabad, there is everyone can point you my grandfather, my uncle, my great uncle. Then, okay, number seven, source number seven, 7C. Now we can understand the meaning of the verse from the mouths of infants and nursing babies give established strength in order to put an end to enemy and avenger. You see, there is a verse in the, in, the, in the book of Psalms. If you want, with the power of little children, we'll win the fight against the enemies. You, your, your enemies, you need an army. There is a war now in Gaza. Then, then King David tells us in the book of Psalms, you want to win the war in Gaza? Bring babies. Really? Should I bring babies to Gaza? What should I do with them? The body expands rather. Rather, as the verse says, not by military force and not by physical strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts, which is the revelation of the Shekinah in each and every Jew. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies means the words of the children studying Torah. You'll establish strength. The only strength is Torah. This destroys the enemy and even the To be successful in the war against the enemy, you need Jewish children learning Torah. That's what you need. That's the strength and the secret of the strength of the Jewish people. If you don't have this, we will not win any wars. You need an army, you need weapon, but we know that we need the blessing of God. They are stronger than us. There are ma- hundreds of millions of people. The world is against us, right? We need God on our side. To have God on our side, we need children learning Torah and committed to God. Because we need to secure the future of the Jewish people. Securing the future of the Jewish people is not only strong borders. I'm all for it. Don't get me wrong. But the securing the future of the Jewish people means make sure that there's another generation. It's, a, it's coming up. Go ahead. Children. How do we secure victory? My father-in-law, the Rebbe Riots, asked in a discussion Spirit. This is an assurance that when we follow God's Spirit, 
through studying Torah and observing mitzvot, we will not require military force or physical might in order to achieve victory. <clears throat> the mouths of infants and nursing babies will ensure that we won't need to use force or might, physical weapons. It will be sufficient to hold the weapons in our hands, and this will cause fear and terror to grip all the nations around us. And in the Holy land, then when we time a war, what we need to spend together of buying more weapons and together making the, uh, um, um, the military stronger and, uh, and uh, gathering more soldiers and all the good things, we need to make sure that every Jewish child gets a, a basic Jewish education in all Shema Israel. Not just the kids who in Bnei Bak and in Jerusalem and the religious kids. Every Jewish child. And this is the responsibility. I remember once the Rebbe spoke, and Purim actually, he spoke about Jewish education in New York. And he says, yeah, people are proud. There are so many Jewish day schools in New York. The Rebbe says, how many thousands of Jewish children in New York don't get anything? Don't go to any Jewish day school. Don't go, don't go to Hebrew school. Don't go to anything. Thousands and thousands. And the Rebbe said, it's written, there is a verse in the Bible that says that every child is... Precious more than the most precious gold. Mesuloi mi pos. I remember how the Rebbe said it. Mesuloi mi pos. They are more precious than gold. And they are being lost every day. Then the secret for the Jewish survival is a future. We make sure there is more babies here. We don't need adults in Shul. It's all Chabad. We need kids. The kids cannot come on, on their own. We need people to bring them in the cars. We need the mothers to drive them here. You need grandparents to bring them here. But what you need? You need a future. <clears throat> yeah, it's all nice and fine. Florida is a lot of Jews. <laughs> okay, the story. Um, you know what? Maybe I'll tell you the story in short. The story is that... Um, okay, you want to hear that? Go ahead. In the afternoon hour, Israeli president... Zalman Shazar. Shazar came to visit the Rebbe at um, 770 Eastern Parkway, Brooklyn. He received a rare and more welcome. Rebbe came out to greet him and escorted Shazar into the office. The meeting lasted 12 consecutive hours, which included seven hours Shazar spent at the Rebbe's side. Afabringen, and, uh, and he came for a few hours at a private audience. Then he went to the Megill, and then then he went to Afabringen. Afabringen was a big event with thousands of people for seven hours. Jeez. You understand what's wow. going? What do you think it was? <laughs> it was he came with a little chonder when he went home. Mm-hmm. Seven hours to stand, and you hear, and the Rebbe is talking. Then there is singing, there is more talk. It was unbelievable. You cannot imagine what kind of excitement is to be seven seventy by the Rebbe. And there were thousands of people. Nobody forced them. They all wanted to be a part of it. That was the show in town. Everybody wanted to be there. You came out on the fabric and you didn't even know which world you are. It was like, you were like walking on, on, on water. A cloud. On a cloud, yeah. Uh, at the fabric in the river, we uh, said his predecessor, a famous uh, discourse of Purim 1927, which was based upon the words from the mouths of infants and nursing babies. Suddenly, it seemed as though the Rebbe wasn't speaking a historic event that took place some 46 years prior, but was giving those words contemporary meaning. The Rebbe spoke about that if we want to stop the enemy, we need to have Jewish children. 
And it looked like the, the Rebbe never spoke just history. You know, if he talked about something that was very relevant to today, he just started with an history, he took something from the past and, and, and applied it. Okay. Uh, the focus of the discourse that the Rebbe <coughs> said was that from the um, months of... Uh, from the mouth. mouth of, uh, of babies, the enemy will be destroyed. Uh, seemingly, to destroy an enemy, we need soldiers which in the Torah are 20 years uh, and, and older. Yet, yeah, here the verse says, the only way to destroy the enemy is through the Torah study and prayer of children. The Rebbe explained that this verse was referring to a physical war. Ultimately, the Rebbe answer to the question was a positive one. According to the Rebbe, uh, Rebbe's, the idea of, of the from the mouth to babies, of babies, is not merely a nice extra. It is critical to uh, victory over the enemies. Enemy. Uh, with this, we are, we can't destroy the enemy. And the Rebbe and said, that if it's going to be a war, we need soldiers, twenty years and older. But it's not enough. If we want to win the war, we must have babies. We want these children to learn Torah. And Shazar was sitting there. He was the. He just finished to be the president of Israel, and he's like, he's like looking at the Rebbe, like, what are you talking about? Which war? What's going on? It was before Yom Kippur War. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, before Yom Kippur War, just like what happened to us now, everybody was sure everything is perfect. The Arabs are afraid of us. Nobody will ever dare to torture us. Mm -hmm. And he looks like, what? What? Whoa, what are you getting so worked up? Which war? When war? Okay. At the close of Fabregan, uh, uh, Shazar and the Rebbe went uh, to the Rebbe's office and another two hour, uh, for another two hour meeting. When they did farewell, the rabbi escorted him out to his car with the tears in his eyes. Later, the president would recall that he asked the rabbi why he dwelled so much on the verse of destroying the meaning of Avenger. Uh, what had happened? The rabbi did not answer. Shazar said, but he looked at me with a very serious gaze and shed a few tears. He asked the Rebbe, what's, what's wrong? What, what are you getting so worked up? He said, the Rebbe didn't answer. <clears throat> the Rebbe looked at him, he gave him a look. Because the Rebbe didn't want to say out of his mouth bad things. And then three months later, I mean, six months later was Yom Kippur War. <laughs> now we'll finish on a, on a better note, if you don't mind. The Rebbe. <laughs> We need to clarify whether the rule of when Adar arrived, we had in our joy, applies only in Adar 2 or also in Adar 1. There is a, there is a Talmud says when Adar comes, you should add joy, add happiness. It's a good day. It's good luck for Jewish people. Then is it only Adar Bet, the second Adar, also the first Adar? Should we smile a little more on Adar Aleph? Oh, God forbid. You only smile on Adar Bet. It's written in Jewish law, only Adar Bet. How do you become too excited about life? There are melancholy inclined people who maintain that the added joy must only be in Adar 2. Their argument is that the simple reason for the additional joy is the festival of Purim. The reading of the Megillah and the other mitzvot of Purim are observed in Adar 2, so the same should hold true for the added joy that it only applies to Adar 2. We should abandon this melancholy attitude and rejoice as Adar 1 begins. At the end of the Orachayim section of Shulchan Aruch, it is stated as a matter of law, a person with a cheerful heart always has a feast.
This teaches us that whenever in doubt, we should rejoice. It should also be pointed out that this law is stated in connection with the Darwan, immediately after stating that on Purim Katan, one should celebrate a little with a feast. It is after this ruling that the Shulchan Aruch concludes, a person with a cheerful heart always has a feast. And always has a feast. The bottom line should be happy all the time. But they all deliver the message, and then the previous Rebbe had to end up in jail. But that, that was really because of this, he ended up to go come to America. And really, the worst ends up to be the best. That's what it's all about. Thank you.